0: Hello and welcome to Cinema in Context, where we discuss all things film and the connections between. My name is Jeremy Downing. I'm Sarah Watt. And I'm William Chan. And each month at Cinema in Context, we discuss two films, one current and one retrospective, with some connection in between. It could be the same director, the same actor, or a similar theme. For this month, though, we are kind of changing it up a little bit. We will be discussing Black Panther, which came up this year. And we thought superhero films are so prevalent in today's cinematic landscape that rather than comparing Black Panther to one film, we would compare it to every superhero film of the last 30, 40, whatever many years. Ever made. Ever made. <laughs> um, and I think this has been motivated by the fact that there is a, there is a great significance about Black Panther uh, in, in what it represents uh, to pop culture, but also to society at large, and uh, yeah, we want to compare it to films like Wonder Woman with a similar sort of edge, uh, but also, you know, superhero films, films in general and what that's kind of meant for for our films. So um,
1: yeah, William, do you want to give us a bit of an overview of Black Panther? Of course. So Black Panther is directed by Ryan Coogler, um, a wonderkind of the day. <laughs> And it is about a king, a newly appointed king, T'Challa, who after the events of Captain America 3 Civil War, returns to his kingdom to take up the throne amidst political turmoil and a question about what it means to be a king and a leader in his country. Excellent. Excellent. And, uh,
0: yeah, I don't really know what more else we need to say about every other film a superhero film made <laughs> because, I mean, I'm going to jump right in. For me, the biggest issues that I have with Black Panther are because it feels like every other superhero film ever made in a lot of ways. Um,
1: apart from those tropes, I loved it. Which is really funny because a lot of people say, no, it doesn't feel like a lot of superhero films. Um, but I do agree with you, Jeremy. Um, I think the... The one thing that stood out to me was man this is this is just a Marvel film. Mm. Uh, the comedic tropes are the same, the characters, mm. you know, are, are pretty well fleshed out, but they're, they're still very same me, uh, and the the overall conflict is it's rooted in something really really interesting, but it feels like the movie doesn't really want to go that direction. Yeah. Can can we have a spoiler filled discussion?
2: Yes, I are think we, we should yes. because I think anyone who's interested in listening to us has seen it. Before.
0: I think so. And so this is your, your spoiler warning uh, right now. If you do not want spoilers from Black Panther and you haven't seen it, turn off this podcast and revisit us once you've listened to it. Because yeah, I want to jump into that. I feel that um, the film does a lot for black representation and it's really thrilling to see a, a, a wealth of black characters fully kind of realised. Um, but there has been a lot of criticism around the representation of the black urban male um, in the, the um, Michael B. Jordan character mm. of... I know his last name's Killmonger. Is it Eric? Yeah. Eric Killmonger or something like that. Well, Killmonger's
1: yeah. his, um, his nickname he got in the army.
0: But, oh, right. Yeah. His, but yes, Eric. His villain name. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like you've got this really complex character. Um, he's, he's woven into the story of Black Panther, like a good villain should be. Uh, he has great potential for redemption and for uh, reconciliation and for them to be able to work with this kind of mythical African pride, you know, homeland, but then also this kind of image of broken uh, urban black identity. But Mm. the fact that he dies at the end, and that's the spoiler, the fact that he chooses to die, um, you know, he has the choice to live. uh, You know, they're trying to make a statement, but it's pretty dire and I, I just thought there was an opportunity to keep him alive. And also there's the criticism that most other, other Marvel villains have survived, like, their films. Um, why does the black one have to die? Because uh, he was so awesome.
2: Like- <laughs> yeah, I, I th- I, I'm wary of people saying, oh, why does the black one have to die? But, I mean, I, I hear you. I, I feel as though there was... Uh, I, I've, I, too, have read criticism of the... Um, criticism by black commentators about the fact that Black Panther didn't do enough. Um, it went so far, but didn't do enough. And and my instinct on reading those sorts of articles was, well, if it, I mean, I'm not black, but I am a woman, and Wonder Woman was meaningful to me in surprising and unexpected ways, um, particularly as a, a woman and a film lover who traditionally loves the sorts of films that boys like, you know. And my my top ten is, Mm. uh, with the exception perhaps of The Sound of Music, God bless it, is riddled with Godfathers and Goodfellas and Reservoir Dogses, you know. So Wonder Woman was Mm. unexpectedly moving and wonderful for me. And I'm not prepared to say, yeah, but it didn't do everything right for women and solved it all in one fell swoop because progress was still made. And I... I don't think it's unfair to say Black Panther made extraordinary leaps, not just in its casting of white. I think there were like three white people in the whole film.
1: Um, can I just add a bit? Uh, I read somewhere a very clever commentator on Twitter said that the uh, the two main white characters were the Tolkien white guys. Well, that's, yeah. Yeah, that's nice <laughs> because, because I
2: did think how cute that it is. It's basically, <laughs> yeah. they, they were the. You know, um, Bilbo and um, I guess he was Schmeagel at the time. Yeah, that's yeah. right. That's that scene in the, the the last Hobbit movie was absolutely a highlight. So mm-hmm. there was something quite cute about <laughs> that's right. But um, and I believe that obviously, if you if we remember as well that the um, the white guard in the museum in London, right at the very beginning before Michael B. Jordan um, poisons her coffee or whatever it was that yeah. happened. Um, but I mean, apart from that, extraordinary to have so many um, black characters black actors rather on screen all at once. And I'm not suggesting that, that well, that's enough. So you've had your lot now, so now we'll get back to making white people movies. I don't mean that at all, but I still think it was more than just tokenistic, you know. Yeah,
0: and I agree with you. Despite my coming out of the gate with the criticism, I just got I guess I just felt natural to lead on from what we were talking about then. But yeah, that's that's true. And you actually came up in a conversation I had with a, with a friend of mine um, who said to me, uh, after she said to me, have you seen Black Panther yet, Jeremy? And I said, no, I'm, I'm meaning to blah, blah, blah. And she goes, look... It made me proud to be African, and I've never been that proud of my African heritage. And mm. I thought, wow, what what an incredible endorsement of this film. Mm. And it, and I said to her, I said that reminds me of my friend Sarah, who who had a similar response to Wonder Woman as mm. a woman. Mm. And she and, it, and my friend, who was a woman, is a woman as well. She agreed that yeah. Wonder Woman had that same kind of rousing, you know, mm. uh, feeling. And so, yeah, I, I think I think it's significant that it, that it has has this great pride about it. I think the
2: African comment is really interesting because the thing that struck me the most about Black Panther was the African accents. I thought, how marvellous that this isn't just a film with a whole lot of African-American-sounding actors in it, um, but the fact that people went... Back to, you know, African roots with their accents and everything. And none of it felt like racist or a bit hokum because it seemed appropriate. But I thought really unusual because Mm -hmm. apart from, and here's my ignorance about to be demonstrated, but I mean, apart from District 9, perhaps, I don't even know. Did anyone in District 9 actually sound... So the, the lead guy sounds South African. Oh,
1: they? Uh, they, uh, they, they they all sound stupid. fine. Just, yeah. But
2: apart from that, yeah. and obviously those dreadful white colonial films that are sort of you know set back in the olden days of Africa. Ooh. Yeah, right. And out of Africa and whatnot. You don't really hear African accents on um, in the movies. Mm-hmm. And for something for a mainstream um, superhero flick, I thought that was just. Bloody great. You know, I love that.
0: And you mentioned the the, the great um, characters, but also the actors. I just was sitting there, like I didn't really look too much into the cast. Mm-hmm. And I was sitting there and there was just, Great actor after great actor kept popping up on the screen, getting yeah, bit roles and big roles all over the place. Yeah, yeah. it was really thrilling. I mean, when um, Daniel Kalua came on screen, I actually didn't even recognise him because he was so different to Get Out. <laughs> yeah, which actually made me—we pre- were having a discussion in our last podcast about whether or not he, he deserved that nomination, and we kind of came to for the consensus for the Best Actor for Get Out. For Get Out, we came to the consensus that yeah, he's doing some really lovely work mm. here, and and I was one of the key people that brought that topic up, and I and I felt a little bit not a shame but I felt like I changed my mind a bit that actually to see him in such a vastly different role yeah and and really acting as you
2: say the antithesis of the nice guy that we've sort of become used to with his Chris character Yeah. yeah that's right
0: very different. Yeah. And um, I love, love, love um, Danae, what's her name, Danae?
2: Garai? Garai. From I'm The Walking, Walking Dead. The Walking yeah. Dead. Mm. She plays
0: such a different character in The Walking Dead. She plays yeah. Gurira, very staunch.
2: Danae Gurira.
0: Gurira, yeah. Mm-hmm. She plays the staunch samurai sword wielding uh, Michonne. And then to see this woman with a great sense of humor. Actually, the sense of humor that the characters have is also to be commended. Um, they're complex but they're not they're not that that, what's the character in Guardians of the Galaxy Um, Star Lord? no 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 the the, the one that has no sense of humor oh Drax no no the the woman the
1: one woman character oh Gamora yeah she's just like this the stick this, in the mud. Oh, it's just terrible! <laughs> mm. I thought me I mean Drax, who, um, who the joke is, he doesn't have a sense of humor. Yeah, right. Yeah. I don't um, like this. I, I like, I do like the human Black Panther. In that it's it's not it's not very uh, comic booky. Like mm. it feels very much character based and and naturally flows from the situation or from the relationships. Like. A lot of the scenes between um, T'Challa and his sister, who oh man, Letitia Wright is so good. She's like my favorite character in this movie. Mm-hmm. same mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. Mm-hmm. She just kills it on yeah, screen. Yeah, totally. Um, but it, it just yeah, their relationship feels very you know like teasing siblings, and and it, it doesn't need to dig much deeper than that. But just the characters bring it to life, and I think every major relationship feels that way. Mm-hmm. It just feels lived in these roles. Mm-hmm. And there's there's some really like um again back to the the
0: Danae Guerrero is it um, she's, she's got this relationship with Daniel Kaleoa but it's mm. not it's kind of not doesn't really define her then you've got um, Lupita Nyong'o's character who's the love interest but again mm. it's like they could not be together in the next film mm. and they would be fine yeah. and the sister
2: yeah, she,
1: she's a love interest who, who's not just the voice of conscience no. she, she actually gets to do stuff and yeah. you know affect the story and isn't is, just
2: waiting around to be chosen yeah. at the end Um, or sacrificed or anything. Oh, Mm -hmm. look, goodness. I mean, if if I'm suddenly visualizing sort of steps of progress and I feel as though we've been sort of banged around the head by superhero movies with a majority white male cast, sometimes some interesting ethnicities, a token woman. I mean, Black Widow, you're having a laugh, good lord, you know. Have you and seen that
0: there's a of Night Live clip where they do the Black Widow movie and the joke is that it's it's actually just a romantic comedy with all the characters from Avengers, <laughs> oh, you know? Crying
2: out <laughs> loud. And then all of a sudden we get Wonder Woman and we're like, oh, look, you know, women can be powerful and you can do a draw test on a superhero movie and it past, and then we get Black Panther where not only is there representation um, or people of colour, but then all the women also have really strong roles. I just think is marvellous. Thank heavens we don't... Am I just going to use... I shouldn't keep saying marvellous because it, it sort of belies a, um, a, my favouriting Marvel over DC, and, that, <laughs> and that's not true, but... Um, the but distinguished
1: I, competition. That's right, oh, but, I oh. do, but
2: I do think it's so won- wonderful that... Um, Yeah, actually, suddenly the Black Black Panther movie proves, actually, you can do all of it.
1: It is super cool. I absolutely agree with you, Sarah. Especially (laughs) when you compare Black Panther to a movie like Justice League, where Wonder Woman is just, she's a supporting character at best, I would say. Mm. like Everything they did great in Wonder Woman, they just squander in that, that stupid, stupid movie. Whereas Black Panther you know there's a lot of times when T'Challa he's not he's not even on screen you know mm. he's he's uh, reported dead for half, or mm. not half a movie at least I would say 15 20 minutes mm. and then during that time you have predominantly women being the main characters and driving the story forward mm. and uh, Martin Freeman's kind of the uh, the tag along and and that's awesome that's yeah. so cool And also, you've got them
0: not all—you know—they're not all not driven by the same thing. You've Mm -hmm. got them disagreeing with each other. Some of them staying, some of them going. There's Mm -hmm. there's great complexity in their stories. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's 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 really
2: the costumes are really appropriate, and I think that has to be mentioned. Um, And and if I can just make a, a very quick sort of. Um, digression, the um, the new Lara Croft movie. Um, I've seen it and it's not amazing, but it has some fantastic things about it, but it's not amazing overall. But I really do appreciate Alicia Vikander looking like she does in the film. She can't help but be beautiful. I'm never going to blame her for that. And she's a pleasure to look at. But the wonderful thing about her physique and what they clothe her in is it is not overtly sexy. She doesn't have overinflated boobs and a tiny waist and you know, I understand the tropes of the Lara Croft video game character, and blah blah blah. It's refreshing to see a woman kick ass and um and not have her ass hanging out of a tiny little bikini <laughs> while she's doing it. You know yeah. what I mean? just yeah. like
1: Suicide Squad, man. Going back to DC, which that I didn't so see. Bad. I, haven't I haven't seen
2: it. Either. Seen it
0: no. I've actually given up on DC, <laughs> not because of DC uh, content. I mean, Batman's my favorite, and his villains are actually I love his villains yeah. more than the, than the character himself. But I've just been so disappointed with. I just. Zach Snyder is so boring as a director. And, and I just. Oh, uh, yeah. I just. I'm sick of the films anyway, the superhero films. Mm-hmm. So then mm. the one that I have to labor through mm. It's just awful. I very rarely consider leaving a film. And, and Man of Steel <laughs> was. On the verge, a low point for you, huh? It really was, mm. and, and there's a lot of good things going for that movie. But my gosh, mm. no film
1: needs to be two hours and forty minutes. Have, Have I told you, about you guys that? about my Man of Steel story? Okay, I'm not sure. Um, so so I, I went to see Man of Steel with my good movie friends uh, in the states, and we went to a midnight screening. Little did I know that with trailers, the movie was over three hours long. Oh my! So gosh. we ended up uh, leaving the cinema. It was like three twenty in the morning, and because the final hour of that stupid movie is just. I don't know,
2: um, synapsis,
1: firing, destruction. I ended up with the worst migraine I've ever had in my life and went through the entire night until morning and just... I can't In agony. believe I did that. Yeah, yeah. yeah, And so, yeah,
0: what a what a film.
1: Terrible experience.
0: Well, let's, let's compare it to some other films. I mean, my um, one of my favourite superhero films, not so much because it's a, a brilliant film, but because of the significance it holds for me, is the original X-Men film of 2000. Yeah. I'm pretty sure mm-hmm. it was 2000. So Brian Singer, um, who is a name that I don't usually like saying anymore. No. Um, but, yeah, that X-Men film, it was um, the first time that I can remember seeing a lived-in world. I mean, you mm-hmm. had the Batman films from Tim Burton, which are fanta- you know, fantastic, yeah. mm-hmm. particularly Batman Returns, um, but they are a Tim Burton expressionist world. Yes. Mm-hmm. But X-Men, you you know, the Rogue and the Wolverine characters who are the centre of that film are, are real people, and you almost aren't even aware that it's a superhero film until sort of much later as, as the mm-hmm. film progresses. Um, but, yeah, I feel like that's the film that kind of started our our... Super Superheroes, Or oh, the resurgence, mm. yeah. Because Super you had Superman, didn't you, in the seventies,
1: mm. um, and Batman in the eighties and nineties. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, yeah, X Men, and, and then um, I, I agree with that as well, Jeremy. Like the, the, the movies after X Men, Spider Man. Yeah Spider Man was big. Uh, uh, they have the same qualities, right? It, uh, they take place in the real that feels comfortably like our own, with, mm. with people who just happen to be bestowed upon with, you know, superpowers. Um, but they are relatable and they they could be you and I. They, that's the fantasy, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: yeah. Well certainly the Peter Parker could,
1: mm-hmm. right? That's that's yeah. the point. Um
0: and the X Men, you know, and at that mm-hmm. point at the start she's yeah. just a girl with a dream and then, mm. you know, she's she's given the gift of Killing people who touch you. Mm. Um.
2: <laughs> for, for me, with um, because superhero movies are not my favourite genre, and I have, with recent years when we've had more and more of them, I've become a little bit inured and certainly less excited. The ones that are either origin stories or are the first of a new set, if you will, that have a freshness about them—they're the ones that I like the best. Mm. Um, and I always think, you know, you'll never have again the first time of seeing the band get together. And so, for, I, I mean, I loved X Men: First Class because I loved going back and seeing them all grow up and then come together. That was great. But chuck me in on a number three or a number five or a whatever, and I'm like, eh, not not so bothered. You know what I mean? It's got to have See, something else yeah. to really thrill
0: See, me. One of my greatest uh, superhero <coughs> film experiences, and, and not so much just watching the film, but the whole. Realization that this was happening was X-Men Days of Future Past. And the reason for that was is because that third film, these characters that I loved, uh, and it was celebrated as the end of the trilogy, half of them were killed off or cured or, 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 or <laughs> you know, just evicted from the story. Yeah. Um, and it was no, such like, a... Like Rogue, who, uh, what, appears for one scene? Uh, it's just depressing. <laughs> no, I'm talking about um, x uh, X-3. Yeah, yeah X-3, yeah. yeah. Well, she cures herself. <clears> like yeah. Um, and, and I just was so disappointed. But then to have... Um, you know, the end of the the Wolverine film where he's in Japan, uh with the hint that Xavier and Magneto are coming back. And then to have a time travel film where they combine this new cast of the reboot with the old cast mm. to kind of heal the wounds of before. Yeah like plus, all that. Plus it's I mean time travel I'm a sucker for anyway. Yeah. And it's set in the seventies, which is my yeah. favourite era <laughs> ever. Yeah, right. Um that just had me fizzing. So yeah, that was um, talking about a 7th or an 8th or whatever, 6th yeah, yeah. or a, whatever
2: it was that, yeah. was. that was a high point for me. Because I've got to I mean, be honest with you, I'm not, I'm not instinctively excited about Wonder Woman 2 because we've had the... I mean, it's, maybe it's not technically an origin story, I don't know, but for me it is. So we've we've had that now, and we've had that. I mean, I love... When in the I love the trope in the superhero m- genre where they leave their fantasy world, or rather, it's their reality. But do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? It's fantastical to us. And for example, in Black Panther, where suddenly we're situated back in Oakland, then I love, I uh, for me personally, as as you alluded to earlier, William, it's the this is the real world. These are real people, but there's this wonderful sort of mm-hmm. superheroic element that's infiltrated that real world Mm. but with Black Panther actually that said I'm surprised Mm. how much I really enjoyed um, Wakamba Mm. Wakanda Wakanda yeah Um, given that I'm not massively Mm. into world building in a fantastical sort of way but it was wonderful and beautiful Mm. and the music was incredible and the The the, so cool. the the movement and the fighting and all oh it was, and the costuming the and everything was the just colours. just magnificent. You can have a superhero movie that looks this good. Yeah, well, it's it's
0: like I mean because a lot of the Marvel universe is just so sort of grey and it's all kind of the
1: same as M- mechanical same. and industrial. Like. Yeah, and then this is lovely. And it's
0: the same reason why I loved Thor Ragnarok because it was just so mm. left Field. I mean, the fact yeah. that they made that film is still quite surprising to me. <laughs> Um, which, interestingly, I saw some of the test footage, and I don't know whether it was just because it was test footage or whether Taika Waititi actually intended this, but it looks very much like Flash Gordon with 80s mm. sort of animation style. And I wonder if that was his original plan. I like, suspect to make, it was. To make a Flash Gordon stop animation style film, which <laughs> makes sense with what they made. With, yeah. what made, But, yeah, um, yeah it's, it's nice in, in uh, Black Panther to have uh, something that is so much a foreign World, mm. and I mean that in the sense of being alien and, and, mm. and strange, not because it's in Africa. But, um, in the world reminded me of that place in R- Thor Ragnarok where the Hulk is being holed up. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't even remember that place. Sakar, Sakar, yeah. yeah. There's there's something nice about seeing these films. They're
1: kind of yeah. they're having to go a bit left field. To mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Make there's it actually it a lot of um, a lot of similarities between the two films. I think someone again, other people have brought it up online. They're, they're both about you know rulers coming back to their kingdoms after their fathers died, and a unbeknown- unbeknownst to them a blood relative comes to challenge
2: the throne and is uh, bringing about death and destruction, mm. all that good stuff. Yeah. Isn't Is it notable? It feels to me that it is, but I'm not as um, well-versed as the two of you in this genre. But is it notable that in Black Panther, our ostensible goody has good intentions? I want to preserve what is amazing about my country, my kingdom, and I don't want it getting out there because I don't want them ruining it. And at the same time, you've got a villain who actually we can root for and actually agree with when he says, well, look, aren't we being selfish here? Shouldn't we be taking all this goodness out there? And doing this for all of our people, not just those who are here. Is that is this unusual?
0: I, I love that. And that's, I think, what I was alluding to at the start of the podcast, which is I think that they had this wonderful complexity with this character. And you understood why he became the man that he became. Mm. Mm. Um,
2: and you might even have agreed with him or, or rooted for him in some ways. Yeah. And you're, you're pissed off. they Well, they, I mean,
0: it's not. just kind of hopeless, isn't it? What does it say to, to disenfranchised urban uh, people in the United States. It's it's. What
2: well, which I, bit? Which what? Well, his pe-
0: message. Well, I. Part of me. I actually cried in this film. I cried at the end when the uh, when T'Challa and um, Eric were on the top of that mountain and they're watching the the sunrise. And I cried because it was such a symbol of um, African American. Um, oppression, Mm. and also this mythical pride that that, that could be grasped onto. And I didn't realise at the time what that character dying would mean to me in terms of what the message of the film was, but I was just really touched by this symbolic representation of um, black identity. Mm. Uh, And then for him to die and to have all this wonderful complexity, yeah, he says, what does he say? He says, you know, we can fix you. Black Panther says we can give you that magical bead or whatever it is. Um, and he says, no, I'd much rather die than be in chains, which it, is a he, great he, line. He, but... fo-
1: he would follow his ancestors as they jumped off the boats, which is, yeah.
0: Man. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a big statement and mm. I, and I, and, I, and at the time I was like, that's really impressive. But then in retrospect, it's, I do find a problem it, problematic.
2: but maybe it's the thing that gives the film integrity. Maybe if the film was purely about a mythical kingdom where everything's okay. My
0: only issue is that he dies. I yeah, love everything, sure, else. Right. Uh, everything else that he stands for and everything else that he presents. So I absolutely agree with you. A villain that you can root for yeah. is wonderful. And where you can got a feel hero, that, that hero. conflict
2: yourself, that tension between, well, actually, maybe he is right rather than the other guy. And, and a
0: hero that's flawed. Like, you're yeah. endeared to Black Panther, but I'm like, you know, I'm being very selfish. And I love that scene with his dad and, you know, the Lion King scene when he's talking to his dad, <laughs> um, Mufasa, no, whatever his name is. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, he's like, Dad, you were wrong. Mm. It's a, it's a good it's a good lesson for today. It's like mm. we can't just rely on our yeah. traditions. We have to
1: mm. we have to diversify and and to make a more equitable world. Mm. And what about that scene where um, where Kumanga is talking to his dad? Mm. And holy cow, that was that was an incredible scene where you, you kind of you see the Wakandan sunset, but it's outside of the window of the grimy Oakland apartment, yeah. mm. and it's just it's such. Such overt symbolism of, of what it means to, to be to, to grow up as he did mm. and to suffer as he did through you know, through all this stuff.
0: Mm. Mm. Mm.
1: Michael B. Jordan, he's a, yeah. he
0: is a force on the mm. screen. And that's another thing is he's he's physically just really yeah. powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, all of those scars over him and he's clearly looked worked out really hard for this movie. Um and, and he's just He's, he's got a charisma on that screen. He That's does. Really
2: Initially, impressive. I was worried because he, he turned up at the beginning and then he disappeared for like a chunk of the film. And I was like, <laughs> where's that other guy? You know, every time um, Michael
1: B. Jordan's not on screen, someone asks, where's Michael B. Jordan? Yeah. <laughs> Have you guys watched The Wire? Yes. Yeah. I,
0: I vaguely remember his character from The Wire because he looks so much younger. Yeah. Is yeah. he in the first season? Um, I think he's just in the first season.
2: Well, he's Wallace,
0: which is quite a—he's quite yeah. a significant character,
1: but he's but only he's young. Yeah. He is. Um, yeah. I, I first remember him from Chronicle, and just I think all the leads uh, in Chronicle true. are awesome. Uh, Hahn I guess, has become less awesome as uh, as time goes is on. Is he the one from um, Valerian? Yes. yes.
2: Oh, <laughs> but I think that's when he became distinctly less awesome yeah. than William, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, I didn't realize Michael B. Jordan was in Chronicle, but yeah. I do remember him from The Wire. But I mean, I
1: do have an issue with the um the Kumanga character, and I, I agree with what both of you are saying about the complexity of the villain. I just felt they could have done more with him um I, I felt like they really <laughs> tried to make you not sympathize with him by making him super evil mm. and it was it was at that point around you know the end of act two where he starts like strangling dudes and it's like I'm gonna kill him more and he he could have been someone really really sympathetic, and it could have actually been like a, a challenge for the audience to not root for this guy. Yeah, uh, or uh, yeah, that, that's right because because he was so sympathetic, and instead I felt like they really simplified it down until it was a little grotesque, mm. um, and that that also really bleeds out into into all the stuff around the edges, right? Because you know. I mean, from Ryan Coogler's earlier filmography, like *Freefall Station*, um, and and to a certain extent, um, what's it called *Creed*, mm. where he, you know, he's he's young, he's fierce, he's he's got views, man, he's got views, mm. and you can see that around the edges of *Black Panther*. But to me, walking out of the movie, it really felt like. The the big Disney Marvel blockbuster kind of got in the way of that. I agree
0: with you. I think the I think the storytelling expectations of superhero films mm-hmm. <coughs> let this film down, mm-hmm. um, and I actually think that's the weakest point of Wonder Woman as well. That third act with is it Hades? I can't even remember who she's fighting. Some um, Ares. Ares, Ares, Um That 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 need to have a, a face off with the mm-hmm. with the villain um, gets in the way of some of the more interesting. Aspects of the films, yeah. but as
2: you say, it always has to happen.
0: Yeah, it does.
1: How can you? They're the, trying to it. Doesn't doesn't like that, oh wait, wait, no.
2: Um, uh, Captain America three,
1: where that was a pretty, pretty refreshing example. It where, was was where they're having infighting, yeah, they having end fighting, aren't they? Yeah, and then the the villain, his plan was never to take over the world. It was just to to have something very emotional and to get mm. emotional catharsis by putting these superheroes against each other.
0: Mm. One of my favorite storylines in terms of these sort of tropes is from Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Season 6, uh, where you have um, you know Buffy returns from the dead, uh, her friend her friend the witch, Willow, brings her back, um, and the consequence is that Buffy was actually quite happily in a place of peace and that her friends ripped her from that. Um, so it becomes a big metaphor for depression. to can't believe depression. you always,
2: manage to, find a, um, you always mind, manage to find a correlation with Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Oh, I think it's quite admirable.
0: It's great. Uh, I don't <laughs> think I've brought Buffy up in a podcast yet, have I?
2: Oh, I assumed you had.
0: Oh, well, I'm claiming it. We'll claim it for the podcast for the son. But um, they set up these three nerds as the potential villains of the season, and spoiler alert for Buffy season six, um, they are pathetic. And ultimately, it's the friend Willow that becomes so overwhelmed with black magic metaphor Mm. for drug use, that she becomes the villain and that Buffy can't kill her because she can't kill her best friend Mm. um, and has to find a way to save her and ultimately can't. Someone else ends up doing it. Um, But, yeah, just as a a way of... Previously, every season before that, there'd been the big bad, the big villain that Buffy has to face off with whatever skills she needs to use at the time. But to have this, this complex dynamic of, of a friend being the person you're fighting, which is the same mm-hmm. as, as Civil War three. Yeah, And I think that um, Black Panther, it, it could. I mean, they were, they were cousins. Yeah. Um, n- with more time uh, or with further film development, that relationship could become something like that. But maybe they're just not really interested in doing that. Maybe that's just not what the film's trying to do. And mm-hmm. But yeah, they had to have some kind of villain
1: face-off at the end. But what do you guys feel about the connections to other Marvel movies? Because sometimes, you know, these connections overwhelm these movies. Uh, and sometimes they're okay, like in you know, Thor Ragnarok and Doctor Strange, but h- how was Black Panther for you guys?
2: But, um, connections in what regard? You know,
1: Easter eggs and characters popping in and right. that kind of thing.
2: So like Doctor Strange turning up in a couple of films, yes. that sort of well,
0: thing. Well, both that both are Tolkien, Tolkien, white <laughs> men, um, have been in previous films. So you mm-hmm. had, in
2: previous superhero films. In previous Marvel yeah. films.
0: So the Andy Circus character, he was the villain in... Age of Ultron. Age of Ultron Avengers, yeah. yep. Mm. He pops up and Martin Freeman is in Civil War, I yep. believe. So I never remember those
2: sorts of things, unfortunately. Mm. They're, they're pretty... They're pretty minor characters, but it's like with films. Easter eggs. I'm not your target market mm. for for noticing the Easter eggs mm-hmm. either. And even though I'll stay for a credit cookie, they never mean anything to me. And everyone else in the audience is the ones going, "Oh, oh, right, <laughs> yeah. good," and I'm like, "Wait, wait what?" Have we seen that guy before? You know.
0: See, see I'm a big fan of those credit cookers, as you say, being something that just adds to the film you've just watched. I kind of mm-hmm. can't stand when they're teasing other stuff. <laughs> it's just a cheap shot. Um, I, I feel that, uh, and I've said this before, these films are like television.
1: Yeah. And
0: and a lot of our TVs now are fantastic pieces of cinema. But that, I, I don't have an issue with it. I just have an issue with the. Fact that you go along to the next episode of Marvel every year, yeah, three hundred million dollar episode, yeah, um, it's it's pretty cheap. It's, it's the whole, so what are they the going to do next?
2: Just say it was up to us, and it isn't. And unfortunately, they'll roll out another one, and people will pay the money, and it'll be fine, and it'll make money, and who cares? <laughs> but if it was up to us. What would be the next step on my imaginary step then of well, progress well, I, or kind of innovation? For me,
0: it's it's already happening. Like Logan was a was a massive highlight, mm-hmm. um, but Damon Lindelof and you all know I'm a massive Damon Lindelof fan mm. is doing the leftovers with HBO. Oh, sorry, not the leftovers. That's what he's just done. Um, <laughs> Watchmen. He's doing yeah. Watchmen with HBO. Which, Wait, you, know, you mean a series, a yeah, TV yeah. series of Watchmen? Mm. And the book is is just wonderful. It's such a rich book. It's effectively yeah. The Incredibles. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, superhero, people have got sick of superheroes, third generation of superheroes, and what 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 would people who actually are superheroes, what would they be like in real, What sort of mental health sort issues sort of like
2: would they IRL. Have? Well, yeah. What's IRL?
0: In real life. Do you oh, mean yeah. what would they
2: be really like?
0: Yes, yeah, so yeah. you've got ones that are either um, sociopaths or mm. um, attention seekers or uh, thrill junkies or whatever. Mm. there's all sorts of mm-hmm. things, got major daddy and mummy issues. Um, you know Doctor Strange wasn't sorts. a very
2: nice person until he had his epiphany
0: well but this is but this is that when they're superheroes they're actually acting yeah. on really dark fantasies and yeah that you know is the world better for them or is the world worse yeah um, and yeah that's what Watchmen is rich in detail and theme and I think very relevant to um, our Trump America right now um, but yeah so that's that's what's happening so that to me that I'm really excited for that And particularly because it's in television, it means that they can actually do stuff that has open ends, Mm -hmm. and they can have messy, messy conclusions, and they don't have to have the big bad bite, big bad fight at the end. Mm.
2: You know, that would be wonderful because that's normally where films lose me. Oh yeah, Um, I imagine most people. And I am frequently watching a film, and then I go, "Oh, this must be the third act." Okay, well, I'm trying to see my watch in the gloom, you know, to see whether it might nearly be over, which is, I just don't understand why they keep on rolling that <laughs>
0: out. I think because the third act is just really hard. Yeah. it's You can set up stuff and build up tension, but how you pay that off is is hard, particularly if you're working within a, a genre where the tropes and the and the rules are so clearly defined.
1: Mm. What was that mo- Oh, right. It was um, 21 Jump Street, the, the movie version, where... Uh, do you guys re- uh, you guys have seen it, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, is the, that, um, uh, at the end of Act 2, um, uh, what's the name, Dr. Spichemin from uh, 30 Rock. <laughs> yeah. he, he comes on stage, talks to the camera and is like, and that's the end of Act 2, because they, they're having a play on stage. Mm.
0: Uh, okay. <laughs> I don't remember mm-hmm. that.
1: <laughs> no, I didn't either. <laughs> those
0: guys, the, the guys that made the Andaligo the film, they mm-hmm. are just geniuses. And I, I'm a little bit disappointed that they Men in Black, solo. the... What's that? Oh, they got fired from the Han Solo movie. Oh, right. Yeah, but that makes sense. I mean, Star Wars is turning into the new Marvel, isn't it? Yeah. Um, But that... No, they were going to do a Men in Black and 21 Jump Street crossover, which is such an absurd idea that I would just love to (laughs) see Do you like
2: crossovers?
0: Not really, but that's just so ridiculous. Mm. Who would have thought (laughs) that the fourth Men in Black would also be the third 21 Jump Street?
2: See, I think I used to find it exciting, the notion that you might have watched a Batman film like I did I mean I I may have said this before I remember because I'm a little bit old I specifically remember when I was going to call it Danny Elfman's Batman actually, Tim Burton's (laughs) Batman with the Danny Elfman score I remember specifically being in fifth form and that film coming out Mm -hmm. and being, I was horrifically excited for it and Mm -hmm. looking back I don't even know why or how I knew to be excited but I was Mm -hmm. so that was definitely one of my seminal moving going moments but it was Batman, and it was his, and it was the the baddies, wasn't it? It was the Joker to start with, Jack Nicholson. Yeah. And so, for me, growing up, it did. It was exciting for a moment there when you would have um, heroes from various films come together, and that was neat. And now it just feels as though that's all it is. And, yeah. I, and, and like Thor was less interesting to me the the Ragnarok because it was Thor and Hulk. And you know, bringing people together. I I I feel as though, for me personally, it's not as exciting anymore. It's mm. it's, it's 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 diluting the diluting the joy or the pleasure, probably. And, and I I don't mean
1: for us to keep ragging on DC movies, but I, I feel that like that's that's something that DC is doing really poorly. Um, I think at least with Marvel movies, you know, they people have said this before. They they've spent their time. Slowly and patiently building up a stable of characters so they can cross over. Mm. Whereas DC is just <laughs> crossover after crossover yeah. and characters bumping into each other with no apparent reason. Mm. Um, and no depth. Yeah, no, none at all. Uh, which is what Justice League, you know, okay, so One Woman and Superman and Batman, you know, they had their own movie. Oh, mm. actually, no, Batman didn't have his own movie. Um, so One Woman and Superman did. And the others were just introduced and, okay, here's some stock character traits. Let's, let's get at them. 90 minutes. We're out. Mm. Uh, and, Ninety minutes. Yeah. Or well, two hours and a half. Oh, not for Justice League. <laughs> it's super short. I know, but it just is <laughs> film. You <know>. oh, yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, that um, I think that really it really goes to show just how how if you don't treat these characters with respect, respect yeah. yeah. And uh, okay, they they are you know just really <clears throat> they they are relatively shallow pop culture characters. But even then, if you don't treat them with with the modicum of, of respect or with the understanding of what these characters actually stand for, it just comes off as a mess. Yeah. I
0: mean, Batman, though, Batman, his, his villains always represent an aspect of him and his mm-hmm. darkness. I mean, there's, there's a whole range of, of really deep and dark things. And I love the Nolan
2: mm-hmm. Batman
0: films so just as you do. I yeah. think those
2: are quality movies. They don't even feel superheroic mm-hmm. to me. They're just a movie about a dude. With big issues yeah. <laughs> and big kind of challenges to overcome. Yeah, know, I love that.
0: Talking about a movie with a dude with big issues and superhero films, what about uh, Glass, which is coming out, oh. which is the third of the Unbreakable and Split oh, series? Oh, how
2: funny. Right. And yeah. I
0: actually saw the posters of Unbreakable and Split, and they both have broken yeah. glass across yeah. them. It's like, Super, how did we miss this? Real clever. So, um, so
2: who's actually in it?
0: Bruce Willis. And James Jack McAvoy. And, yeah. and the girl from um, from Split. And from The Village. Which I'm actually really glad about because because the ending of Split was very icky for me with how her character was left with, you know, spoiler alert for Split, um, with her abusive uncle. Do you remember that? Yeah. Yeah. And oh, yeah, that's right. I was yeah, like, oh, right. gross. This, mm. is, this is icky, icky, icky. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's a, that's a superhero film that, that you don't know is a superhero film, either of them, until... <laughs> Well, until with the Split, very I don't
2: think I knew it was until Bruce Willis turned up in the diner. <laughs> well, that's the thing, you don't. And yeah. I thought, this is bit, And I saw it at the um, the 24-hour movie marathon. M- oh, cool. Um, so it was desperately peculiar in that context as well. I mean, it, I don't know if it was quite middle of the night, but it was, you know, getting on. And, um, and I was like, wait a second. And the audience that I was with on their beanbags <laughs> just erupted, you know. But I assumed it was M. Night Shyamalan being just a little bit funny. Well, um, it is not very cheeky. It's really cheeky. And the, the but dialogue, I didn't know it was the, um, a foray into something new. No,
1: the dialogue <laughs> was also really, really camp. It's like, uh, if you remember the scene, it's two ladies uh, seeing the news report, and it's like, Oh, yeah, this reminds you of that incident in a couple of years ago. What was his name again? And oh, yeah. then Bruce Willis goes, Mr. Glass. Goes,
0: just, the black. I, just, to, <laughs> just to talk about what I mean that like Shyamalan, The Happening is still one of the most ridiculous <laughs> cinema experiences. That whole film is dialogue like that. It? <laughs> oh, gosh. But yeah, I guess in terms of like going back to your question about what we hope would happen next, I don't really I haven't really asked for a third film in that. <laughs> but I think that subverting of the genre is where it yeah. needs to go, which I feel Logan started to do, yeah. and I think Watchmen will continue to yeah. do it. Um, but why? Because you know. they're
2: darker and the more serious and...
0: Yeah, and, more, and the and the story's more interested in mm. the meta-discussion mm. and unpacking what it means to be a superhero.
2: Logan did a... Ter- I mean, Logan... What? I mean, I know that we sort of tittered about the fact that it was nominated for an Oscar, but it did a, an incredible job, didn't it? Phenomenal. Absolutely.
0: Phenomenal film. The more that I think about it, the more I'm just like, that was... That actually was, really was really
2: good and moving yeah. and well acted and took itself seriously
0: Yeah, and was R-rated and I couldn't believe yeah. that when I was watching it and there was, there was claws going through cheeks. And,
2: and decapitations that uh, you actually saw and that weren't cut away from. Which
0: I love that, not because yeah. I love violence, I and I do love film violence, but not because I love violence in real life, because you know sometimes we get it's so desensitizing just to see people getting punched all the time yeah, in yeah. or, or shot yeah like, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah okay that guy's gone and like to see it for real it's like yeah. holy crap and then
1: yeah. that family gets wiped out as yeah. well it's just terrible and, and it just ups the stakes so much for both the character and the movie as a whole mm. like oh okay this is why why Wolverine's so so messed up because yeah. come on he is nice to him yeah. I mean the Wolverine the origins film is not great
0: at all mm-hmm. but the There's Japanese the second one the, second one, the yeah. Japan was just wonderful and the extended version of that with Mm. again is R-rated mm-hmm. is, is adds some richness to the um, the Japanese characters because I think they must have cut it out because it was subtitled or mm. something yeah. um, and and then that third
2: one is just yeah the, the trajectory of his standalone films is mm-hmm. really impressive so, so here's the evidence that even as recently as last year when Logan came out that films of this genre can be well written in mm. A they can be well written and deep and thoughtful and meaningful and well acted, and audiences get it as well as the visceral mm-hmm. thrill. So, mm, it aggravates me so much that so many other movies of the genre are just sort of rolled out with the expectation, well, you know, put it on and they will come. Yeah. You know, I think it's, do. It's, and-
0: it's because it's riskier to make that sort of film, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And and the the Marvel machine knows how to produce films that are going to make billions of dollars Um, and I think the film Logan that could have been
1: terrible Uh, Mm -hmm. you know all of those
0: choices could have failed
1: Um, but I I think on a similar note like Deadpool which was also a huge financial risk and a lot of people had to put their careers on the line Mm. Um, and of course it was a hit and Mm. so they're making a sequel but just yeah kind of um, piggybacking off your point Jeremy I do think it's because the Marvel machine is, I mean, there's time limits and there's monetary limits on what you can and cannot do. Mm. Um, and it's, it's the smaller movies like Logan and Deadpool that can actually risk things and try new things. Yes. Thank you for listening to another episode of
0: Cinema in Context. If you enjoyed our podcast, then please share it with your film-loving friends. You can listen to Cinema in Context through SoundCloud or through Apple Podcasts. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter or YouTube, which are great places to let us know what you think of this episode or give us suggestions for future films to discuss or compare. Look out for our next episode in a month's time and until then, ka